Oh, hi. You snuck up on me. Are you eating pizza? No, not eating pizza. Oh, it looks so pizza-y. Oh, why is the audio so weird? Can you keep talking? Uh, I can try. That's great. You know how to whistle, don't you, Michael? <laughs> what is that from? This is like a, some famous old movie line. What is yeah, it yeah. from? Um, Lauren Bacall's whistle scene. Remembering Lauren Bacall's greatest scene. Her defining performance in 1944's To Have and To Have Not. Opposite Humphrey Bogart. Mm. Basically saying, like, this is how you get a hold of me, is you just have to whistle. You know how to whistle, don't you? Anyway, are you done with your audio check? Um, not yet. I'm trying to fix my headphones. But you're too busy eating your not pizza. Mm-hmm. Betraying me, basically. That sounds good. Great. So what were you eating? Oh, I was eating some uh, veggie pot stickers. Oh, that sounds delish. Yeah, uh, there's a, a few Asian grocery stores like south of us, wow. half an hour south of us. So I was in the area and I stocked up on some. Mm, yeah, good idea. I should get some frozen pot stickers soon. This is not as delicious as frozen pot stickers, but Jordan is bringing me a pumpkin spice frosty from Wendy's home tonight. Wow. Pretty excited about that. I've heard it's really good and I've been wanting to try it. I'm sure it's good. I, I hear pumpkin spiced coffee beverages in general or frosties aren't. That's not coffee necessarily. No, frosty is just like an ice cream thingy from Wendy's. But there's something embarrassing for women, right? About. Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like my complicated feelings about it are more about having spent seven years making pumpkin spice things for other people. And yeah. growing to have a true and deep visceral disgust for them. Just like from the sheer amount of pumpkin spice syrup I've seen in my life. You know how if you just see too much of a food at once, it kind of weirds you out. You're like, this is this feels wrong. But because this is not coffee, nor is it from Starbucks, I feel a little bit less weird about it. It's not even that I feel weird about it. I just like can't enjoy pumpkin spice stuff usually. But I think it being a frosty will set me free good you have enjoyed pumpkin spice prior to your pumpkin spice overexposure yeah i think so okay all right uh michael mm. hi how are you i am good i am good all your pumpkin spice story reminded mm -hmm. me of something food horrific that happened to oh, me no. directly not me directly but we had a friend who was in town I had a mm -hmm. friend who was in town who, like, randomly was in town. I didn't expect them to be in town. Mm -hmm. I hosted them, and then we went out for food. Yeah. And they ordered, uh, like, a broccoli omelet with cheese. Okay. Sounds tasty. I'm into that. The omelet came out. Broccoli egg omelet thing mm -hmm. with Velveeta cheese on top of it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would eat it. You'd eat I it? I would eat the shit out of that. I was horrified horrified well that just shows how weak you truly are i know i'm weak i'm weak you know uh michelle foucault once said we must make ourselves infinitely more vulnerable to pleasure michael i think you might want to take that i don't know anything maxim about to that. heart i don't know anything about that person or that <laughs> message i i don't stand by it I don't support it. <laughs> it's so autumnal and rainy right now. Oh, it's so autumnal and rainy. A couple moments ago, we had that perfect lighting. Now it's mm -hmm. dark and spooky. Yeah. It's very misty where I am up in the hills of Western Mass. 
Ace doesn't like it. He gets so grumpy when it's rainy because he really doesn't like the rain, which means when I take him outside, he doesn't really like run and play outside. He just like pees and comes right back in. So he gets very grumpy that his playtime is being disrupted by nature. Skeeter doesn't like the rain too. We have a metal roof. So when it rains really hard, he gets a little scared sometimes. Oh, baby. But yeah, I'm fine. I mean, other than the omelet, which... (laughs) Well, uh-huh. not my omelet. Which is debatable how much of an issue that is. <laughs> right. Now I feel bad for thinking it was so bad. Yeah. I mean, my intention was to provoke shame in you. Well, you've succeeded. I mean, it's not hard, <laughs> but you, you did a great job. How are you, Hava? I'm doing pretty well. I've had a very cozy day, very chill, rainy day inside. I am, you know, haunted by an ever-present sense of anxiety. No matter what Sure, sure. So that's definitely, you know, in the recording studio with us, as it is every week. The ongoing atrocities continue to stun me. Yeah, yeah. You're referring to the Gaza war stuff. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, we should say that there's a link. Yes, we put a link on our previous episode for a great place to donate if you have some funds to send to support folks in Gaza uh, getting through this dark time. Another link that we're going to have in the description this week is one of the things I'm both anxious and anxiously excited about is next month, less than a month from now, actually, from November 10th to 12th, Binya and I are going to be bringing Shalmala to Portland, Oregon. So if you are in Portland or near Portland or can get to Portland, we're going to be doing a whole weekend, a full day of Talmud learning and like a Kabbalah, Shabbat, Havdalah, Saturday morning Torah study, the works. So I'll put a registration link in the description to this, but that's going to be really cool. I'm I'm anxious mostly because I'm stressed out about the travel aspect. I always get really stressed out by traveling. And then usually what happens is like once I get to the airport, It's like once I'm in the chaos of it, it doesn't really stress me out. It's just the anticipation of the chaos. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Classic. Would love to like internalize that lesson on a somatic level, but haven't quite managed that yet. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Are there people who are better at knowing things in their body and don't know and don't aren't Um, so good in the whole brain? I don't know. I mean, I think there's, yeah, I think that's a hard question to answer. I think there's too much nature or nurture of it all that goes into it. I think I just haven't found the trick to internalizing that lesson. Or maybe I just need more practice at it. Um, Maybe it's just like a skill I need to develop. I don't know how you develop a bodily response skill. I don't know. Well, I don't think it's so much developing a response of equanimity in the face of anxiety as it is sort of like developing whatever mental emotional or physical processes like help me create that response Mm, yeah you know like figuring out the right set of thoughts to think or figuring out the right number of jumping jacks to do like i think there's like a something about it i think i think it's possible to sort of like get better at living as you age and this is one of those things there's got to be an enthusiastic ted talk about this Oh, my God. Absolutely. You know there is some perky Elizabeth out there just waiting to tell us all yeah, about this. Yeah, like a PhD in, like, neurochemistry. No offense to any of our listeners if any of you are perky Elizabeth. Yeah, no, we need you. We need you. Yeah, the world runs on perky Elizabeth. Um, yeah. 
I just can't. It's just so fun to say. Uh, Michael, we didn't come here for my bullshit. We came here for your bullshit. Yeah, and I'm bringing some bullshit for sure. I was trying to stay with the theme that we've been on the last two episodes. Gender? Uh, Yeah, men and women, I feel like, Mm -hmm. has been. Great. Specifically. Specifically two two genders. Women. Not the only two, but... The two biggest troublemakers. The two big ones. I was trying to find some stuff about metaphysical explanations of men and women. Mm-hmm. Like, how do the souls of boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider? Yeah, like how or like... What did the Lubavitcher Rebbe have to say about that? Right. Or like, why do the souls of Jewish boys want to go to Jupiter to get more stupider? Like, what's the origin exactly. of the desire? I came across a book which I think might interest you, perhaps. Okay. Uh, I have a feeling something in my soul tells me just the title of this book will cause me to make an expression. I think you're going to have feelings about it. Great. Can't Um, wait. You know what I haven't had enough of today? Feelings. Good. Good. (laughs) That's never true, audience. This book is called Kabbalistic Writings on the Nature of Masculine and Feminine. Suspicious. Yes, it's by an author named Sarah Schneider. Okay. Who, what's it called when like a Jew goes, I'm pretty sure this is her bio, but she got some degree in biology. Mm -hmm. Then she moved to Israel, got married, is now in Chabad. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure there is like a word for, uh, you mean a bal teshuva? Yes, thank you. Okay, great. I, th- I think there's like a specific vibe of like someone who goes to Israel and becomes a Baltashuva. I think that's like a distinct sub phenomenon. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, she's a Baltashuva. So, you know, she's like a cheerleader for Chabad, as far as I can tell. I don't know. Right. But okay. I thank her for illuminating the existence of this exploration of the messianic times and how it will affect gender relationships great i mean we've talked about messianic gender a surprising amount on this show have we yeah i guess we have i mean we had a whole episode about shabbatized gender so so i found this essay which i believe is an excerpt from that book which you can get at all your any your favorite book retailer if you want mm-hmm. that talks about this drosh that Shnur Zalman of Liadi, the founding reb of Chabad, gave right. the man himself. The man himself about the seventh blessing that's given on a wedding. Okay, yeah, big part of Jewish weddings is to receive what's called a sheva brachot, the seven blessings that is a big ritual component of many Jewish weddings. Sheva brachot, exactly. So there's this drosh on the seventh one where there's this line. Most of the drosh focuses on this line, but it's making connections to other aspects of the seventh prayer. But the last line is, Baruch Adonai, Masameach Chatan Im Hakala. Blessed are you, God, the one who makes the groom glad with the bride. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's this whole drosh that Sarah explains that, you know, summarizes and makes probably more comprehensible that Rabbi Zalman goes into where it's a little weird that they use the word with, like the husband is in some sense like subordinate to the wife at the end of this blessing. Sure. So what's going on there? This blessing was makes the bride glad with the husband or vice makes, versa. Makes the husband glad with the wife. Right. So, like, blessed are you, God, for making the husband glad with the wife, as if the wife is already glad. 
And oh, I see. That's the implication that they're. I guess so. Going that, with. That's like the husband needs a little extra help, kind of. All right, as usual, as we learned in our last episode. Yeah. So this drosh that I will attempt to explain. Mm-hmm. features a lot of common stuff that we've mentioned before like god and the people israel as like god is like the masculine the people israel they're feminine and they're kind of right. like in you know sheer hashim collectively bottoming for hashem yeah 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 so bottoming if you will song of songs we were in some sort of divine relationship fuck pile uh Yes, file for God. We don't have to put that in. Uh, okay, so Rev a Zal- cuddle puddle, as they call it on the scene. So Reb Zalman, who apparently was like an expert, at least competent in Lurianic Kabbalah, was uh-huh. like, okay, we all know that in order to signify that you're betrothed to a woman, you have to give them something of monetary value. We've talked mm-hmm. about this. Right. We talked about this not very long ago. Yeah. And now we do that with a ring, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you're allowed to like bang yet. There's just like a promise to. Right. Get you're creating married. a legal obligation. Yeah. And whatever that's like very, your souls are like whatever, like touching a little bit on the outside, but not like fully <laughs> Your souls are like touching through the mechitza. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Zalman makes a comparison between that giving a ring to the Jewish people as God giving the Torah at Sinai, which is like a particularly special moment between God and people where you don't just get like the divine light that surrounds the universal truth. You get like the legit universal truth of everything like blasted directly in your face. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like very significant. And this is where the covenant of the Jewish people comes from everything. That's the betrothal moment, according to Zalman and marriage. The marriage happens when the messiah comes okay got it so we're not allowed to hook up with god yet we're not allowed to hook up with unless you hold by shabbatai or the lubavitchers who believe that the rebbe was the messiah um sure yes so he goes into this idea so when you're blasted with like the divine knowledge you don't really are you're able to get all of it so -hmm. some of it enters you and it's kind of termed like inner light Um, okay it's or Penny me that actually gets into your brain and you're consciously able to understand like the divine message that you receive. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it becomes or makif, which is like encompassing light. It kind of floats around you in like a like a metaphysical halo of information that has yet right. to like be able to. It's like to. the cosmic background Torah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that ring of light is kind of the equivalent of like the ring. Okay. That a man gives a woman. So this is already pretty. This neat. is like feels like a real stretch for everyone involved who's been. It's like a a Jenga tower that's lasted hundreds of years of these guys putting it together. It's it's a stretch, but it's kind of neat. So God encircled us with a halo of light. Yes, yes. When He gave us the Torah, and that circle of light is like the secret messages in the Torah that have yet to be discovered, that are continuously okay. being discovered, and that are continuously consciously being integrated in to our brains and mostly men's brains because it's right men are the ones who are studying torah right from Mm -hmm. the perspective of this rabbi and studying the text over time the goal is to basically shrink that ring like discover all the secrets to like fully Mm -hmm. like consume the ring it's like you give luminescent kegels yes and so the man right since his goal is to study the torah when he teaches it to his wife, for example, you know, when he gives his wife the info, 
Right. She is able to consciously grasp some of it. But like when you're learning, like with everyone, like a student to teacher, some of it you don't. And that creates a halo of metaphysical knowledge that will eventually be learned at some point. Okay. Just like God gave the uh, Israelites like the blast of the knowledge and we kind of uh-huh. like are still figuring it out. A husband. We get sort of a lesser blast of knowledge yeah, from yeah. our husbands. So it's like this. Lucky for us. It's this fractal reference, you know. You get a little bit of Torah as a treat. And okay, so you do this and you keep doing this, you keep doing this. And eventually, according to the rabbi, you know, we will have discovered all the secrets of the Torah that at least was given to us. Mm -hmm. And the women will also know the transfer of knowledge from God to the Israelites will have been complete and from the husbands to the wives, you know, will be complete. And men and women will be like equal in their knowledge of the divine secrets of the Torah. Okay. And at that moment, that's like when the Messiah comes and stuff, whatever, whatever. So I think it's curious that it's coming from, I believe, person who's summarizing this is an American who moved to Israel with like a, a tech degree and probably some ideas of like gender roles that might come from Western mm-hmm. life. But there seems to be an implication here, perhaps, that it's like the duty of everyone, including women, to kind of learn all the stuff, to learn all the secret knowledge. Right. It might be a thing in order to get to the messianic age. I'm so close to being on board with this. I'm I know, not, I know, I know, I know, I know what you it mean. It just is like, if only it didn't have to be mediated by men first. Well, here's the funny part. So apparently, and this is where the word with comes back in. Okay. It's like, okay, well, once it's equal, there's something that happens. And I don't understand the mechanism behind this, but it reverses. In the messianic age, women become the people who study and receive the divine light and transfer that knowledge to men. You're telling me the Rebbe was a lesbian separatist. Uh, yeah, I'm saying <laughs> and that, that was... the age of Aquarius could only be achieved when women, women rule the earth. There's something kind of dommy romantic about this whole thing. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm doming you now, but in the future, like you're gonna you'll like, dom me. Yeah. Don't worry, I'm a switch. It'll just take several millennia yeah. to switch. And there's this whole idea that, like, well women's main scriptural thing they have to do is recite the Amidah and they do it in a whisper. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of these marriage blessings they talk about, oh, we can hear the woman's voice and the man's voice. They're so joyous. They're getting married. La la la. And so the rabbi explains that, well, this is like women are finding their voice and like we need to raise women's voice. They need to come into their own voice. I think the title of this essay is called The Voice of the Bride, actually. Um, Ladies are doing it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The car I'm driving, I bought it. That kind of thing. (laughs) The Torah I'm learning, I bought it. So, yeah, eventually, and I don't understand why, but there is this reversal that happens in the time to come where women will get divine knowledge and give it to men. I guess it's a different divine knowledge that isn't in the current Torah, because in this messianic paradigm, we've discovered all the secrets of the Torah that has been given to us. Maybe right. maybe that's accel- Maybe the Messiah comes and Messiah explains it all to us, and that process is accelerated. I don't know if we do it on our own, and that brings in the Messiah, right. or the Messiah comes the and Messiah, helps us. The Messiah, much like Clarissa, explains it all. And then we sort of like reverse it, and we get to the other side of the secrets. So things I like about this, it reminds me of what you said, that there's going to be a new Torah revealed and a new like right. alphabet. Love that. I do love that. 
So that's a thing that Hava told me a long time ago, listeners, that apparently one of the ideas about the Messianic time is there's going to be a new Torah. It's going to have a new alphabet. It's going to be all positive mitzvahs and no negatives. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, because a part of the deal, part of the deal of this whole scheme, I don't, I didn't like prepare any sources for this, but the deal of this whole scheme is like history moves in these like enormous cycles of time that are ruled by different sefirot. And the one we're ruled right now is by the sefir of Gevura, which is the, the aspect of judgment, which is why we have negative prohibitions in the Torah, because it's a time of like strictness. Uh, but oh, in the future, we'll be like in a, a time of, I think it's chesed, but we'll be in a time of loving kindness where like the Torah appropriate for that time will be all maase. It'll be all mitzvahs to do. Oh, that's cool. So, okay. So that's one thing that's cool. That's a connection to this other. Right. The other Love thing that. that's cool is there's other things about men and women we've talked about. One thing I read was like, why do men always chase after women? Why is that the way that it goes? And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about the Shekinah as the feminine force. And basically men don't have any Shekinah naturally. There's this idea that like, we don't have any Shekinah. Dudes just mm-hmm. don't have it. And women have it. And we like intuitively know that. And we seek that out as men. Yeah. So there's the secret knowledge. I find that really annoying. <laughs> I know it's annoying, but you know, come on, it's kind of cute. I'm just, I don't know why this is reminding me of this phenomenon, but what this is reminding me of is, um, as you know, as listeners may know, once upon a time, I was super mean. I just like hadn't learned how to be a nice person yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a period of time right after I transitioned where I was just feeling really frustrated with all the transmisogyny that I was experiencing in my life. My way that I took that out was just like by being mean to every man in the world (laughs) that I ever ran into. And the thing that made me so furious is when they enjoyed that. For some reason, this is feeling like that phenomenon of like, no, don't chase after my Shekinah. I know I have it naturally, but it's not for you. I'm sorry, but (laughs) it's just metaphysically. Sorry, babe, I just can't help myself. It's the way of the world. The the way way. you're putting that Shekinah out there, that Shekinah scene. (laughs) The other thing I like about this is there's a connection to a wife being the crown of a man, you know, like mm-hmm. like a, a man without a, without a crown, like a king without a crown is like nothing. I don't know why I'm so genderful today. I'm like so suspicious of gender relations on this episode in a way that I'm normally more playful. It's just like if you're the crown, it's just like you're instrumental to completing his existence. Well... Just because you're like special and beautiful and crowns are wonderful. Like, you got to put your Disney pink glasses on for this episode. You got to get those on. But what if this gender stereotype was fun? What if it was just fun? What if we made it cute? Like, what if we put a rhinestone on it? Just think of it as a drag show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But- right. The problem is it's not. It just like is real. The problem is just like I, I mean, I think I've become, I've experienced so much more like um, misogyny classic in the Jewish community Mm. since I like became a sort of professional Jew in the form of various Jewish men, assuming I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, which in a way is refreshing, you know, just vanilla misogyny instead of trans misogyny is sort of like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. (laughs) It has like a cool mint breeze about it. But it's also just like, maybe this one is too real for me to put on my rose-tinted glasses. All right. Well, you're going to like this thing. Oh, great. So the wife is the crown for the husband. Right. You're never fully dressed without a wife. Now, remember how I said, well, God transfers knowledge to you. Mm-hmm. 
or when a man transfers knowledge to a husband or a rabbi to a student. It's like you're taking the divine light, some of it is going into you, and the rest is surrounding you in this metaphysical light that hasn't entered you yet. Mm -hmm. That's the crown. So it's saying that a woman, Mm. so the rabbi is saying that a woman is the crown to a husband, particularly in the world to come, because she's the one giving the information to the man, and some of it is going in, and some of it has yet to go in. It's like this halo of light, of metaphysical divine knowledge. Right. Intellectual pegging. Yes. Yes, There's intellectual pegging going on. So Um, it's this reversal. It's like this crown is is the symbol not of you, of your status and power over other people, but of your like lack of ability to have fully absorbed everything that the people without the crowns have. Right. Okay. That's pretty cute. You brought me around on that one. Okay. I thought I'd be around. (laughs) I would love to be a crown of Torah. Women are just naturally part Torah. Yeah, that's kind of that, that. That's true. That is that is true for sure. I mean, I think the whole paradigm of like spouses delivering Torah to each other in a way that transcends time and space and goes on forever. If we just take this whole thing and make it egalitarian, I'd be obsessed with it. You know, if it was just like you and your beshirt are like destined to give each other crowns of Torah, great. Yeah. But because of even if there is all this cute stuff for women sort of like sprinkled throughout it is as i have said to several of my students this week for some reasons like you know it's when you have a little something nice in the middle of your shit sandwich yeah i mean yes yes but there is some nice things there but but it is nice nice. yeah (laughs) it just happens to be covered in shit it's the problem well the thing that i thought was pretty neat about it was also kind of what I find a little terrifying about it, which is like this kind of acknowledgement that the gender roles would be totally different and wouldn't apply in a fundamentally different context. You know what I mean? Yeah. The context being the world to come in this particular right. case. Right. I mean, I do, something around me does come around to the idea of like, yeah, like women and men sort of like exist as categories now because we're in this specific spiritual moment, but like... In the next spiritual moment, all that will be reversed and we'll have something completely different. Like the idea of like sort of genders for our time. That's like a fun, a fun it's spiritual a fun thing. idea. If I want to expand the use of the word gender, it also reminds mm-hmm. me of talking to like immigrants. I'm going to posit that there's kind of like an American gender, you know, and like a, a uh-huh. Russian gender. And like I've heard people say things like, oh, like Americans are soft, haven't really dealt with cataclysmic war and famine and shit in the way that other countries have had in recent history Mm -hmm. and that kind of changes our behaviors and stuff like that it also reminds me of that the negative side certain conditions and it also reminds me of like what alt-right people say about like oh i need to be like a strong man because like when society falls apart my personality type will be valuable you know you have have you heard shit like this before yeah yeah and i'm not saying i agree with that at all but i am saying that If you do believe something like that, it's sort of in line with what this rabbi is saying. It's like exactly what you were saying, like gender is for this time. You know, the roles are for this time. I mean, I feel like my own gender and Torah is very much of its time. You know, I say all the time that I hope generations from now, my greatest dream is that some faggot will be looking back, reading what I wrote and saying like, she was fine, like for her moment, but like. By today's standards, this is, like, really repressive, if you think about it. 
I guess that's kind of why I like it, because I think I'm looking back at Zalman, the Rebbe, the Chabad guy, and I'm kind of, I'm having, I'm getting feelings like that. You know what I mean? Right. And I just have it stuck in my craw because I know that we're still in that moment in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. We're both, we experience both liberation and oppression at the same time. That's just like the nature of our existence in this flawed universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like what you were saying about like who I am is for this particular time. I feel maybe this is a me issue but maybe the listeners out there too relate to the feeling of like you're trying to be a better person and mm-hmm. to you what a good person is is like a static archetype that it could exist in any time mm-hmm. and i'm sure there are things that would be static about that but it is kind of refreshing to remember that that's probably not exactly how it works to be a good person you know right yeah you have to be the person for the moment yeah which makes me think is there a messiah for the moment you know? well as you know, as we've said a million times before on the show, we're all failed messiahs. Yeah. You know, and we're all successful messiahs sometimes, hopefully. Sometimes we're doing it. There's a million billion messiahs every minute and a million failures and a million successes. We just sort of have to hope the arc of messianic work leans towards completion. Yeah, someone needs to bat a thousand, you know. Someone <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some people just like do really good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this was a great chunk. It led to a lot of really good discussion. There's a lot there, you know, crowns, light, ring, betrothal, marriage at the end of the world, Mm -hmm. women. Marriage in the next temporal era, marriage in the age of Aquarius. Shekinah, who has it, who wants it, where do you get it? (laughs) Right. All of it. Intellectual pegging. Pegging, bombing. Switching. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this halo of podcasts encircling your eardrums. And we will continue to make silly, silly nonsense for you to listen to. Go check out the Shalmala weekend in Portland if you want to. And without further ado, Shavuotov. Shavuotov. <laughs>